Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope you're having a good day. We appreciate you letting us be part of your day. Coming up, we are going to talk about infrastructure, not only the package being still worked on in Washington, but just where are we as we head into the fall harvest season? Where are we with rails and and river transportation, locks and dams, and, and of course, port situation. Are we ready for this harvest? And we'll talk about that with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. We're going to talk markets with DTN's lead analyst, Todd Holtman. And we'll get another crop report. This time we'll go to eastern Kansas. We will talk with Ken McCauley about how things are looking in his area. But let's start off a check on the news with Todd Neely from DTN. Todd, good to talk with you. How are you doing? Yeah, good morning, Mike. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, well, good that we're both here. Hey, let's uh, yeah. let's look at this latest uh, move by the uh, ethyl- ethanol industry, trying to get the attention, I think, of yeah. the Biden administration, say- saying, "Hey, we can help meet these climate goals if you just give us a chance." And they've written a letter uh, from their member companies saying that they can. Uh, hit net zero emissions by the year 2050. It just seems like they're trying to get the attention of this administration that you don't have to put all your uh, eggs in one basket, meaning electric vehicles. You have an industry right here, right now, that can help you on this. Yeah, you know, Mike, it's interesting because uh, a lot of this story that's uh, that's told to Biden in this letter uh, about reducing emissions and, and how ethanol can contribute, this is really... Um, it's really been a message that the industry's had for some time. And I think, uh, you know, it's always kind of been in the background. It's always been something that, uh, you know, the industry's known for a while that it's improving year in and year out with uh, how it produces ethanol and, and particularly its climate, uh, its climate benefits. Um, I think this is probably uh, one of many steps that may be to come. Uh, where the industry is going to start taking some different uh, some different tacks in terms of trying to meet, to reach the Biden administration, you know we uh, we've heard that uh, the RFS volumes are delayed for 21 and 22, uh, so there's a lot of concern uh, when it comes to the RFS and whether uh, the Biden EPA is is really going to uh, enforce the regulation or whether it's just going to kind of die on the vine. And I think. Uh, I would suspect that this letter that was sent by 70 ethanol companies uh, who are all members of the RSA, um, I suspect this is just one of many things that the industry is going to attempt to do and, and, and ways that it's going to take to uh, try to gain the attention of the administration. I think they they sense the urgency of the moment, don't you think, the, uh, the biofuels industry, that yeah. uh, decisions that are going to be made here under this administration will determine in large part uh, the future of the biofuels industry. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. I, I do think that that's in play. And I, I also think that one thing to keep in mind, too, is that um, <clears throat> regardless of what the EPA does, regardless of what this administration does, uh, there's probably always going to be a market for at least 10% ethanol. And I know that's not what people want to hear necessarily. Um, but whether, you know, whatever happens with the RFS, it doesn't spell the end of the industry, but it's certainly, you know, it's an industry that has the potential to grow quite a bit more. I mean, we, we've seen what can happen with E15. We, you know, there's a lot of other things going on, you know, uh, high octane fuel discussion. I mean, there's a lot out there that if, uh, you know, you're talking about reducing climate emissions, uh, ethanol seems to, to fit in. And not only that, but like you said, it's available now, the industry's raring to go you know it's always ready for expansion and i um it'll, it'll be interesting to see if this this particular pledge works i i know that uh, a lot of people are frustrated in ethanol right now as to where things stand and it's just wow it's just not realistic to think you're going to just pardon the pun flip the switch and all of a sudden everything's electric i yeah. mean it isn't going to happen it couldn't happen that quickly no matter if, how much you wanted it to if if you're on that uh, if you're you know, along those lines of wanting it to go that way, you've, you've got you'd have to build the infrastructure. You have to make such a change that doesn't happen overnight. So, uh, 
you right. think it's nothing else that you, you would embrace what you have right now even if it's you only look at it as a way to get you to where you're trying to go t- if you're making a change yeah absolutely you know and mike there's uh you know you said you said something about infrastructure and you're right when it comes to electric vehicle situation there's uh there's a, a massive required build out for uh for electric vehicles uh, to become you know the next thing um and, and when you look at the ethanol industry uh, we've been seeing a build out for quite some time. You know, it's kind of kind of ebbed and flowed. I mean, we've had different periods of time where the industry was able to get more done on the infrastructure side of things. Um, but it's it's an industry that's been around for a while, you know. And I and it's uh, it's really it's really kind of surprising where we stand right now. I I think a lot of people thought coming into this administration, um, you know, we knew there was going to be climate goals and, and a lot more aggressive moves on that front. And you kind of thought that ethanol probably would play a role. And maybe, um, you know, I, I think there's still a lot to be done to tell that story. And this is, uh, I think this is just the first step uh, going forward. And talk about trying to build out an infrastructure. We can't hardly, I mean, I've, we've gone through weeks and weeks and there still can't come to some decision on how to uh, upgrade the infrastructure we have in place now. Yeah, and, and you're right. You know, we're still seeing in in uh, between the House, between the Senate, between the presidency, uh, you know, there's still a lot going on behind closed doors here about, you know, getting an infrastructure package passed. I, I think the latest talk is that this uh, this week it could go on into the weekend. Um, and it, it's really kind of hard to figure out where the divides are. It seems like there's a lot of political back and forth on this, as there is on a lot of things in Washington. Uh, but you're right. Uh, infrastructure is a it's a huge issue, and uh, you know you really like to see uh, some of this come to a head, and you'd like to see some of it um, to focus on rural America. And so I guess we'll just wait and see. But it's uh, it's kind of a political fight that doesn't ever seem to end. That's right. It just keeps on going. It seems like uh, we're talking with Todd Holtman. Todd Holtman. Todd Neely. We're going to talk with Todd Holtman a little later. Todd Neely with uh, DTM. So as we look for, you know, some kind of movement here, uh, meanwhile, we wait uh, to see what comes to this proposal with the, with the infrastructure. Uh, meanwhile, yesterday I talked a little bit with uh, Secretary Vilsack, and he says there are some things happening on his, uh, you know, USDA's plan to help diversify the, the meatpacking industry, get uh, help to small producers. But again, as we talked before, uh, small packing plants, I should say, that takes a long yeah. time, too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and um, I, I think I think it's, it's an encouraging sign that we're seeing some action even in Congress today. We've got a number of hearings um, on the cattle industry and, and uh, supply chain and that sort of thing. I think the, the focus has been renewed. And I think, um, you know, there's going to be steps along the way where we're going to have to have some USDA intervention, whether it be offering grants, uh, whatever, whatever the case may be. And I think this is uh, it's a long-term thing, you know. If we're going to have uh, competitive uh, cattle markets and those sorts of things, we're going to have to have um, a long-term strategy. You know what? We never have a shortage of hearings. We never have a shortage of those. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. More today. <laughs> Todd, good to talk with you. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Mike. Todd Neely, DTN reporter. We'll talk more about infrastructure and how are we set up for this year's harvest. We'll talk with Mike Steenhook next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Are you heading to NCBA in Nashville? The National Corn Growers has a great lineup for you on Wednesday, August 11th. Mike Adams will be broadcasting live at 9 a.m. from the U.S. Meat Export Federation booth on behalf of the National Corn Growers Association. At 12.30 in the Learning Lounge, NCGA will host a panel discussion with U.S. Roundtable for Sustainable Beef and the U.S. Meat Export Federation as they discuss the partnerships between corn and cattle. We'll see you in Nashville. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend-to-Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system. The system 
of choice. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Anyone could sell you soybean seed. Channel Seedsman placed products to perform. With Channel ExtendFlex soybeans and Channel Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans, you'll get the excellent weed control you want and the high-yield potential you need. Make the most of next season with the Roundup Ready Extend crop system and expert recommendations from Channel Seedsman. Ask a seedsman in your area for recommendations for your fields. Check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Always read and follow grain marketing and all their stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Everyday DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, as we head towards fall harvest, let's talk it over with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, about how we're set up to handle the harvest, to kind of wait also to see just how big it's going to be. Some places not so big and other places could be a very big crop indeed so we take a look at conditions across the country mike thank you for joining us and uh how do how do things set up as we look at the you know the rivers we look at uh, the roads we look at the rail system are we ready for this harvest well i think the the real important background is that we have a global supply chain that remains under stress and it really you know impacts all of the modes of transportation what gets most of the publicity is the the real challenges with securing you know containers um a very overly stressed port area with ships lining up and all of those things and that's and rightfully so but you know we also have you know perpetual challenges even pre-pandemic of getting enough truck drivers to move product around and you know, clearly a lot of farmers move, you know, transport their own product or just hire someone to do it. But that certainly affects the movement of agricultural shipments. And, you know, with barge transportation as well, you can see we've seen rates go up with all of the, the significant volume being moved. Uh, freight railroads are under stress as well. So, you know, I think, you know, overall we're pretty well positioned, but I think that's the real important uh, context for all of this. So I, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, unfortunately, if there are some challenges in getting product from point A to point B. Yeah, it sounds like the potential there for some backups. And we kind of live in that world today. Things being delayed, we're, we're, you're always waiting, it seems like, for something to, to get to you that used to come so much more quickly. And that's going to be the same moving it out, right? So uh, when we look at those port backups on the West Coast and some of these other issues you just talked about, getting drivers, things like that, uh, that potentially uh, could be a big problem come harvest time. Yeah, and, you know, things can really change on a dime. And, you know, obviously, you know, COVID is a real, um, you know, it's something that can really throw a wrench into our plans, you know, not only 
just the virus itself, but then there's also almost a separate issue of how we as a society respond to that virus and whether we, you know, increasingly impose lockdowns or any kind of restrictions. Um, you know, it wasn't, you know, just a handful of weeks ago that one of China's most bu- busiest ports in, in the southern part of the country, they had kind of a flare-up with COVID, and then all of a sudden there's a lot of restrictions imposed at that port. And all of a sudden, just without really much anticipation of it, there was a huge backlog in one of the most important gateways in, the, in and out of China. Those things can happen throughout the country. And, and so, you know, it really is, you know, <clears throat> I'm finding with the whole area of supply chain, people who have been following this for years, it used to be the, the, the design was to have just-in-time delivery. And that all works well, and there's a real economic reason for that, but that works well if everything is running in synchronization mm-hmm. and you're not having any kind of delays. And one, one of the things the last year and a half has taught us is what happens when you throw a big wrench in it? And, and is that really the best way of constructing a supply chain? And so people are looking at, well, maybe we need to build more inventory. Maybe we need to have more, uh, more pad into our system. So people are really asking some real you know, more fundamental questions when it comes to the supply chain right now. We're talking with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. So let's look at rail. Uh, what about uh, rail car availability? Is that going to be an issue, you think? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the the railroads are pretty well positioned, you know, particularly for moving grain. You're hearing more short shortages when it comes to things like well cars, and those are the cars that transport, they're these flat cars that transport containers. Those can be in shorter supply. Um, you know, the hopper cars that transport um, bulk commodities, they seem to be in better, more abundant supply. But, you know, again, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we're, we're seeing some construction in the overall supply chain. But, you know, the, the railroads do overall a, a pretty good job. Yes, there's challenges here and there. And, um, but I, they, they seem to be in a pretty good position to, to handle the upcoming surge. And, you know, obviously it's, it's going to be, there's going to be certain areas of the country where production is going to be very robust, maybe even historic. And then other areas of the country, you know, North Dakota comes to mind, whether you've got, where you've had some real drought conditions and that can really impede uh, the actual production and, and, uh, and ultimately the transportation as well. Yeah. It'd be a reduced volume coming out of there and some of those areas for sure. Now, what about on the, on the rivers? Do we have any, construction projects going on or or things pretty much uh, as good as they can be for going into a harvest season yeah i think we're in a pretty good shape you know we're we're you know river levels are are pretty good you know we've you know had some dry weather here and there but you know overall river levels are are pretty good we had some a real important rehabilitation work done on the illinois river last year that's making that system you know more resilient so uh, you know i'm i'm forecasting pretty efficient barge transportation this year. Uh, there's still, like last year, there'll, there'll still be upward pressure on rates, um, given the fact that we have such such a strong export program. And, you know, that usually is one of the consequences of exporting a lot is then you end up having more expensive transportation, but that's that's not limited to just this year. That's, used, that's a pretty historic phenomenon. But I, I think barge transportation, again, overall is, pretty well positioned, especially compared to some of the challenges we've had over the last several years. But what about those West Coast ports? What we're going to ship through there, is that still backed up? We're, we're still seeing it. Um, and, you know, it's it's moderated a bit from some of the historic highs. But, you know, we're, we're now right in the middle of the back-to-school season where we normally bring in a lot of freight, a lot of products. Uh, to replenish inventory in advance of back to school. And then that right on the back of that is holiday uh, season where there's a big surge. So we're anticipating elevated levels of shipping, you know, in and out of our, our ports. And you're not just seeing it on the West coast. Uh, you're also seeing it on the East coast. West coast seems to have the, the biggest, the biggest challenges with backups and delays and whatnot. Um, and then, you know, again, there's a lot of these companies that are wanting to replenish their inventory. They're, they're saying, look, we can't afford to just 
wait for every expect everything to arrive exactly when we anticipate it because that that was a lesson that clearly uh, didn't occur this past year so let's build up some of more of our inventory so we we can remain operational if we have any kind of hiccup in the supply chain so you know when you put all those things together throughout 2021 and well into 2022 we're going to see some of these elevated levels of shipping uh, throughout our entire supply chain of course another impact on all this at harvest time will be weather and how, how spread out uh, the harvest is or does it all hit pretty much at once uh, those are all factors as well real quick mike i know you're watching closely what's happening in washington or not happening in washington on the infrastructure package what are you seeing and hearing are you optimistic well we're, they're continuing to talk about it but you know there's a as we know there's a difference between um doing something and achieving something and right now there's a lot of doing in Washington, D.C. I think ultimately we're going to get a, a, a package, you know, an agreement um, before the, you know, the August recess, but that's really coming quickly. Um, but you know, there's still a lot of major things to, to, to sort out. So, you know, there's, you know, it's kind of even money right now, what, whether we'll see something meaningful done in the, in the near future. Of course, that's, those are long-term things. It takes a while to get it even passed, a long time to get, then you got to get it started and a long time to get it completed. So this is a big process. It is. Yeah. And, and so there's, and there's a lot of these big fundamental questions like how do you pay for it? You know, you think that would be one of the first things you would solve and determine. Um, but it still remains uh, outstanding how, how they're going to pay for the whole thing. Big question. Remain on that for sure. All right, Mike, thanks a lot. This harvest season will be here before we know it, and uh, hopefully the uh, the system, transportation system, is ready to go to handle it. Sounds like we're in pretty good shape going into it, so we'll hope so. Thanks, Mike. Good to talk with you. Thank you, Mike. Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Good overview of the uh, the infrastructure system that we count on for moving uh, the harvest that will be coming up here very quickly. We'll talk more about that West Coast situation tomorrow. Uh, someone who's watching that very closely for the U.S. Meat Export Federation and get the, the very latest on that. Well, up next, we're going to talk markets with DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman. Uh, I want to get his thoughts on something we talked about yesterday, and that is... Uh, what if we don't have a big enough crop uh, to meet all of uh, the demands we have out there with these tight stocks? What does that lead to? A situation we're not used to in this country. We'll talk about that possibility and more coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Channel Seedsmen don't just sell soybean seed. You can trust them to understand your fields and place Channel Soybean products to perform. With the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, including triple-stacked Channel Extend Flex soybeans, you can be confident you're getting the excellent weed control you want and high-yield potential you need to make the most of the season. Find a Seedsman in your area for recommendations for your fields. Check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Always read and follow grain marketing and all their stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall. Traders are still uncertain. Corn and bean prices refuse to move in any trend, and weather remains the dominant market factor. On a positive note, grain prices are well above Monday's lows. Row crops are trading firm on this Wednesday. Current weather forecasts have more spotty and less widespread rain in store for the Corn Belt through the weekend, along with high temperatures near the 100-degree mark. On the Board of Trade this morning, September corn trading two and three quarters of a cent higher at 551. 
one and a fraction. The December contract up four cents at 550 and a fraction of a cent. For soybeans, the August contract trading six and a fraction higher at 1424 and a half cent. The September contract trading three cents higher at 1370 and a fraction of a cent. For wheat, Chicago wheat September trading 20 cents higher at 694 and a half cent. Kansas City wheat September up 17 at 658 and a half cent. Minneapolis spring wheat September up 20 and a fraction at 898 and a half cent. The December contract up 17 and a half cent at 885 and a half cent. Box beef continues to push higher as retail is looking ahead to the Labor Day demand. Choice cuts gained $1.80 with select cuts up $3.02. Whether the strength in box beef will increase the need for packers to step up and pay more for cattle remains to be seen. The few cattle that traded Tuesday is not a good indication of what will possibly take place today or the rest of the week. Weights are holding rather steady at this time of year when generally they would increase indicating the market is current. On the Board of Trade, August Live Cattle trading 50 cents higher at 123.42, October up 50 cents at 128.92. For feeders, August down 15 at 160.57, the September contract up 2 at 164.02. In lean hogs, the August contract 60 cents lower at 106.87, October $1.50 lower at 90.97. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk it over with Todd Holtman, lead analyst for DTN. Todd, good to talk with you again. These markets, um, well, well, weather markets reacting to weather conditions, aren't they? Yes, uh, we're still in the uh, throes of the dog days of summer here. Still not seeing a lot of rain in the forecast, uh, and uh, we still have that same uh, two-way split between the dry side and the wet side of the Corn Belt. Uh, some spotty rains, uh, you know, in places that need them, but uh, you're just kind of hoping you get one to get you by to the next one in some of those places, right? I mean, it's just so dry. Uh, when we when we've talked about this before, uh, trying to determine whether the uh, the good areas have been getting rain, do they overcome, offset uh, the areas that uh, aren't getting the rain, and that's the big question to be answered as we move through uh, into harvest time, right? Yeah, and and uh, to be honest, it's uh, not easy to answer, uh, but I still uh, tend to think that we're going to be on the short side overall nationally. And uh, I think the big concerns still are the swing states of Iowa and Minnesota this year. Of course, uh, Minnesota is getting the worst of that uh, in, in their dry state. And there's not a lot of uh, hope in the immediate seven-day forecast uh, to, to expect much change there. And then uh, Iowa's doing okay, but they're still a bit on the borderline. And, and uh, still, the, this western corn bed area uh, could use some of those timely moistures that you're talking about. You know, I was talking about this yesterday, and I recall you you bringing up uh, the rationing word uh, earlier on. But when you have these uh, stocks this tight, and if you have production concerns like we're having this year, I mean, don't you have to look at the possibility of really rationing demand? Yeah, and uh, I, I think we really saw that in spades earlier this year. We saw a big surge 
of demand for both cash corn and soybeans in late April, early May. That seemed to be when the kind of fever pitch of this uh, demand side of the market really peaked. Since then, um, it's been a little more balanced. I'd say the cash corn prices have held up better than the cash soybean prices, definitely. But here we are um, in the last week of July. We're uh, just two days away from starting the delivery period for August soybeans. And we still have August soybeans uh, trading 54 cents higher than the September contract, which is only one month later. That's, that's still a strong sign of commercials bidding up the need to secure soybeans now as opposed to waiting one month later. So uh, I think we are definitely in the heart of really uh, straining the, the demand side of this market. I'm not saying this is going to happen, but I was kind of just wondering out loud yesterday, when has this happened or has it happened in recent times where at some point the government says, hey, we can't sell anymore or we have to we can't sell you as much as we're going to sell to another. Can, can, can we get to that point? Uh, you know, as, as far as our export customers, we've never taken that tack. A lot of countries have, right. of course, uh, India is kind of the, the poster child for uh, taking that tack to protect themselves here in the U S we've been such a breadbasket for the world. We've never really had mm-hmm. to worry before uh, about the possibility of getting this tight. We, we have had weather markets get us, uh, draw us down. Uh, seven or eight years ago, we went through a tight spell. But in this situation, it's a little different. We're the world's largest feed customer of corn and soybeans really has a, 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 an ability to keep us tight uh, because they're in such a tight situation. Yeah, I mean, I hope it never comes to that. But if it does, or if it did... Who makes that call? <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I think it, it, <laughs> it's hard to imagine it happening here uh-huh. in the U.S. because, A, we don't really have precedent for it. And, uh, you know, B, politically, I'm not sure exactly what channels would have to take yeah. place for that to happen. It seems like uh, it would be more than just one person. Yeah, it's something we've, like you say, we've never really thought of. It's never really been that pressing an issue but I, and hopefully again hopefully it won't be but I, I was I've just been thinking about that the last day or two that if you ever got to that point who makes that decision that says okay we can't sell anymore or we can't sell anymore to you and or boy that opens up a, a big can of worms doesn't it yeah and I think those would be good questions for our USDA officials maybe start there and uh, the foreign egg service and uh, just kind of see where the protocol for that uh, would go. But as you say, where we've never really been in this spot before, and frankly, it's a new problem we've never really had to consider seriously uh, before. So it, it's a, a very upside-down situation than what we're used to. <laughs> yeah. Can't imagine what uh, what prices would do in that scenario. Well, yeah. And we're, we're already, uh, you know, considering where we were just a year ago, these are all still some very fantastic pricing opportunities that we have right here in front of us talking with dtn lead analyst todd holtman all right todd so let's let's look at these prices and where we're at we're heading we're just about to august and boy we think back august a year ago that's when things started to turn right and uh, we were we were headed into harvest time and who would have thought prices would go up and then they just kept going up Uh, what are you expecting this august yes well So far in the front, uh, the pattern still seems to be the same uh, bias that the eastern Corn Belt is in the more favorable situation. They're they're getting the lion's share of the moisture, and the temperatures are staying more moderate there, whereas the northwestern Corn Belt continues to struggle. So we haven't really seen a significant shift in that uh, pattern as yet. Uh, As you say, August, uh, I think, is a much more important month than we previously thought. I remember just last year, Many farmers telling me that, oh, August, little dryness in August can't hurt the corn because, you know, it, mm-hmm. this crop is made and it's in such good shape. But we found out that those timely rains in August are very important for both corn and soybeans. Yeah, so we have a ways to go. But don't we have a pretty good handle, I think, on on corn production? It, it's going to vary some depending on August weather, obviously, but a lot of it made it through the pollination period in pretty good shape as far as weather's concerned, but still a big question on soybeans. 
Yes, uh, true. And I have to say, uh, you know, I, I'm not a big fan always of the crop condition numbers and trying to figure out uh, yield based on uh, the crop condition uh, that USDA gives us each Monday. But uh, one comparison is we are very close right now to the ratings that we saw in 2017. And if that's any guide, we had about a 176.6 bushel an acre yield that year. So we still had a crop that turned out very well. If you allow for a little more time, uh, you could add two or three bushels uh, an acre on top of that. The, the, the question mark I have, though, is that uh, the, the moisture was distributed differently in 2017. We had a fantastic year for Minnesota uh, that year and a 194 yield in that state. Uh, we're not going to get that this year in Minnesota. And, uh, you know, obviously Iowa and Minnesota being big players is going to have a lot to say with how this year's uh, yield turns out. I can remember when the August crop report was a really big one, a lot of attention on it. Um, There'll be a lot of attention on this one coming up, right? Because we're wondering how much of an adjustment do we see USDA make? Yes. Now, the reason traditionally we've had that uh, sense of weight on the August report is because that used to be the first year that we uh, USDA mm-hmm. would get into the field and look at their uh, field surveys. Now they've shifted that to the September report. So there's there's still going to be interest in August. The USDA will still use satellite maps and other tools uh, to try to determine yield, but we don't get that first uh, real taste of what's in the field until September. So it's a little different in that sense from the past. Yeah, that's how how things have kind of changed on the the timing of that. So what's your thoughts, uh, real quick, on, on the wheat market? On wheat, I'm still very bullish on the spring wheat side. Uh, this, you know, it, the crop looks so rough. We've got the spring wheat tour going on right now. I think they came in 29 and a half bushels an acre on the first day for spring wheat. That's a little less than USDA's estimate of 30.7 bushels an acre. But uh, aside from those estimates, uh, I don't think there's any argument that the, the spring wheat crop situation this year is really, really tough shape. And so we're going to have a long year of tighter than normal spring wheat supplies and uh, I think a long time for guys probably to hold back on their spring wheat supplies and make it a little tougher even for commercials that are going to have to bid up to get uh, more spring wheat out of their hands. So uh, it just looks like one of the most bullish situations we have right now is in that Minneapolis wheat contract. And overall, just if you've got a crop, uh, be flexible, take advantage of the, the opportunities, right? Yes, uh, we, we've already recommended a light amount of forward selling uh, this year, but fully aware that these prices could go higher, that there's still a lot of weather risk in this market. And, of course, uh, I think the, the uh, normal expectation, we have to assume there's going to be some harvest pressure here in front of us, um, in, unless there's some sort of weather disaster in August. But, uh, as I say, uh, at least a half to two-thirds of this Corn Belt is still in very good shape. All right, so uh, all of a sudden we're going to be turning that page to August uh, this weekend, and it's here upon us very quickly. Todd, good to talk with you again. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mike. Volatile times. Uh, Volatile times, you're right. Todd Holtman, DTN lead analyst. Well, we've been checking uh, weather conditions and, and crop conditions in various states across the country. Today, we're going to take a look in the state of Kansas. We'll go to eastern Kansas. Ken McCauley will be joining us coming up next. We'll find out how conditions are in his area. So stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I 
first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. So join us for Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Are you heading to NCBA in Nashville? The Nashville Corn Growers has a great lineup for you on Wednesday, August 11th. Mike Adams will be broadcasting live at 9 a.m. from the U.S. Meat Export Federation booth on behalf of the Nashville Corn Growers Association. At 12.30 in the Learning Lounge, NCGA will host a panel discussion with U.S. Roundtable for Sustainable Beef and the U.S. Meat Export Federation as they discuss the partnerships between corn and cattle. We'll see you in Nashville. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Channel Seedsmen don't just sell soybean seed. You can trust them to understand your fields and place Channel Soybean products to perform. With the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, including triple-stacked Channel Extend Flex soybeans, you can be confident you're getting the excellent weed control you want and high-yield potential you need to make the most of the season. Find a Seedsman in your area for recommendations for your fields. Check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Always read and follow grain marketing and all their stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
Well, we continue with our crop watch update as we talk with farmers in various states to see how conditions are in their areas. Today we go to eastern Kansas, talk it over with Ken McCauley. Ken, good to talk with you again. It's been a while. How do things look in, in your area? Well, thanks, Mike. It's good to be back on. Uh, got a good report, though. It uh, We went from really dry to uh, a 10-inch rain, and, and crops look really good. Uh, I would say the corn could use another rain to fill on out, but it's just, it's probably going to be you know, I don't know if we even really need it, but the soybeans do. The, we're in the 200 bushel plus on the corn. It looks looks really good, and uh, the soybeans got a lot of potential if we catch another rain here pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Do you see a lot of variability uh, in your area? I mean, do you have to go very far to see things change, or is that pretty much uh, what you described for quite a bit of your area in eastern Kansas? Well, for our area, it's really good. You go west. Oh, 50 miles, and it starts dropping off fast. Mm-hmm. And I have friends out there, and Kansas as a whole is is pretty good shape. But uh, you know, go across Missouri quite a bit, and the corn looks pretty good in Missouri. But the soybeans, to me, are they need some some help. And poor old Gene Miller, he needs he needs mm-hmm. another rain. I'm sure he he usually needs another rain. Yeah, and he usually says you're getting it all, so uh, uh, you, you need to share some with him. Uh, so corn looks pretty good. Are you see any um, insect issues, disease issues this year? We had some Japanese beetles, but we put the insecticide on with the fungicide, and they were just on the outside. Corn was already uh, pollinated, so we weren't too worried about them. But uh, you don't want those things to go out of control anyway, and. And we addressed that with the soybean fungicide, too. So uh, that's the only insect I saw. We didn't see any fungicide uh, brewing up, but we went ahead and sprayed it anyway, just in case, because this, <laughs> this humidity here, 95 degrees and 95% mm. humidity, is uh, hard on an old guy. Yeah, it sure is. Uh, what about disease uh, pressures? Have you seen anything pop up this year? We have not, and, you know, a lot of guys were tempted to not spray. I think the majority of the farmers around here sprayed the corn and, and spraying soybeans right now, but uh, really haven't seen much for for the the change in weather and the high humidity we've had. I'm surprised we haven't seen more more uh, diseases, but um, we're, we're just uh, plugging along here looking for a really good crop, I think. So you must have made it through pollination in pretty good shape as far as the weather. Well, you know, we always talk about 4th of July rain, and uh, it was right right before that. And my birthday is a week before, and, and I was claiming it as my birthday <laughs> rain until it went over 10 inches. And then I, I backed off of that. People were sending me a text that they wanted me to pay for the damage that this was causing. But uh, I'm sure we're going to find some holes and problems in the field from that much rain some of them head up to 14 inches and you know you 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 can't have a rain like that without having some damage right uh the the way it's going now as we're heading into august what do you think about uh, when you be able to when you would start on harvest uh what maybe a little sooner this year i don't think so i i think the the corn was was pushed back a little bit with that dry weather and heat we had early there uh, in June. And I I think we're going to be, you know, Labor Day or later. So mid-September probably is going to be the, the big start. And I know you talk with a lot of uh, friends in different parts of the country, and uh, you're hearing from them this, these extremes that are out there, right? I mean, the areas like yours that are looking really good and then the areas that are just hard to grow anything this year. Oh, it's it's uh, extreme all over. I mean, you go west to central Kansas, and they're just as dry as they've ever been. And, and you go north and, you know, south Dakota, north Dakota, I'd, it's it's really extreme, but you know we've seen these things before, and it just happens that that we're catching the rain this time. But one rain really makes a difference when when you need it bad. And I'm not sure. You know, you see a lot of Minnesota is in bad shape, and uh, you really feel for them because they're they're used to uh, nice weather most of the time. So uh, it's it's really tough to see 
guys that just plain missed the whole year because it's it's uh, pretty rough in a lot of places. Yeah, it really is. But you're looking at it, what you think is going to be a very good corn crop, and you're looking at these prices. Uh, you don't usually get those two matched up, do you? No, you don't, Mike. And it's really a good feeling to to have that. Uh, you figure these numbers up, and and they really really make it for a good year. I really feel good for anybody that's having a, a good crop and a good price at the same time. Because you're right, you don't get that very often at all. I've had it a couple times in my 50 years of farming, but uh, not very often. I know you watch closely still the ethanol industry and the, the challenges uh, faced there. Uh, you've seen the ups and downs of this industry over the years. How do you feel about where it's at right now? Well, it's really hard to figure out. It, it, you know, the ethanol business is, is moving along, making some money. You look down the road and, you know, why in the world would would Biden campaign against the oil industry and then try to beat up on the renewable ethanol sector? I just don't understand that. Hopefully this this is just going to keep, you know, working itself out. And, you know, I'm I'm thinking that it will. But I just can't see the the environmental things and the climate things that all the administration's talking about here and then beat up on a, a good product that's helping the climate thing, Biden not not uh, fully supporting it. So, yeah, that's where I'm pinning my hopes. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things going against us right now that make things really uncertain. But uh, short crop helps keep the markets up. I guess that's, that's our big deal. All right, Ken, good to talk with you. We'll talk again when you get to, to, to harvesting that uh, good crop. Hopefully, uh, you know, you got a ways to go to get there. Hopefully, it'll finish out strong for you. Thanks a lot. All right, Mike, thank you. Kansas farmer Ken McCauley with a crop update from his area. That does it for today. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Are you heading to NCBA in Nashville? The National Corn Growers has a great lineup for you on Wednesday, August 11th. Mike Adams will be broadcasting live at 9 a.m. from the U.S. Meat Export Federation booth on behalf of the National Corn Growers Association. At 12.30 in the Learning Lounge, NCGA will host a panel discussion with U.S. Roundtable for Sustainable Beef and the U.S. Meat Export Federation as they discuss the partnerships between corn and cattle. We'll see you in Nashville.